In today's episode of VFM, we are talking to Will Martindale from Cambry about biodiversity and what value for money means to him. Welcome, everybody, to our 40th episode of VFM. As ever, I couldn't be happier to be joined by my co-host, Darren Philp. Hello, Darren. Hello, Nico. How are you? Yeah, very well. And, and literally sitting next to each other this time. Literally We are in next... the pod. We are in the pod. So thanks to DG Publishing for, for, for riding. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, what have you been up to this week? Um, well, watching Arsenal. We watched Arsenal together. We watched together. Arsenal together on yeah. Tuesday night, which was good. Yeah. Good to see us get back on track we, in we the should, Champions League. We should get sponsorship from the Old Red Lion pub. But, um, oh, we should do, should it's we? Like the, but, the, but, but the landlord um, decided <laughs> to put every... This is a pub in North he's London. He's a Norwich fan. Yeah. And he's he a, Norwich a Norwich fan. fan. And Norwich were playing. Norwich were playing And means. every big screen yeah, had Norwich on. Yeah. And the pub in North London, when Arsenal were playing a Champions League game, and um, we had to watch it on this... Well, it's probably a dodgy stream, wasn't it? it, it was a, no, it wasn't. Well, only if you think BT Sports is a dodgy stream. Oh, well. But um, it had a dodgy internet feed as well. It certainly did, yeah. So, yeah, it was highs and lows. But, yes, it was good to see you. It was, it was, it was great, you. wasn't it? It was good fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, and, um, yeah, I'm, I'm on the mend as well. Good. My, my health ailments are, are gradually Good. improving. Your tooth has been filled. Yeah. The pain in your neck has quietened down a bit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I survived the PLSA. <laughs> so today, look, we're delighted to have as our guest Will Martindale. Um, so co-founder of Canbury Insights. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking a lot about that. Uh, formerly of JP Morgan, BMP Paribas, Oxfam. PRI and Cardano. So, very lunch, interesting career. <laughs> Thank you. Welcome, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Yeah, excellent. And, um, well, we're going to be talking a bit about Cambry and a bit about how you got into pensions and that in a minute. Mm, but mm. we start off as ever, Nico, with the news, don't we? We do. And, yeah. um, Will, guest prerogative, what have you got for us? Well, well I've, got, I've got two things for you. I think it, we can't ignore what I call in geopolitical fragility. Uh -huh. And if my, my daughter's nine years old, if you think about her life, she's had five prime ministers during her lifetime. She's mm -hmm. gone through a global pandemic. She's had a nuclear power invade, a, invade Europe, the continent in which we live. Yep. And now we've got deep instability in the Middle East. And we're two or three flats of butterfly wings away from potentially very, very serious collapse of uh, world order. Yeah. Um, and... It it, it 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 feels to me that that's a, a story that, that that we ought to talk about. The, the, the other the other perhaps sort of less severe, but 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 I think from a pension scheme perspective, quite quite important topic that I think we ought to talk about is the is a swathe of new regulatory initiatives and mm. voluntary disclosure initiatives that have been introduced over the past few weeks. So TNFD, the Transition Plan Task Force, what we've seen in Europe with the European Sustainability Reporting Standards, yeah. and what that means for the way in which trustees are approaching their, 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 their sustainability objectives. So two things for you to take away. Yeah. One macro, <laughs> one quite micro. Go on, start with the macro then. Right? Yeah, because uh, I was yeah. going to add to the 
there's so there's no speaker in the House of Representatives. Well, there is now. Well, there is now. So, oh, is there? So oh gosh. And, and live. That's so that's news. Was, there we go. I was gonna I was gonna add to that because he he believes in cre- creationism. He has voted against abortion bans even at the stage of fertility. He does not believe in in climate change. He's a good mate of Trump. He's a good mate of Trump. So who is it? It's the uh, is it Emma? No, his uh, his name is and you carry on talking. Real <laughs> time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, sorry, so I, 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 maybe one. Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson. Mike Johnson. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so, okay. So no, but the, the the idea that the Speaker of the House of Representatives, with that degree of power in in a country that's really led throughout our lifetimes how we think about geopolitics, yeah. has that set of views. It feels mm-hmm. again that we're in this period of fragility. Because the, the Speaker is the third in line in terms of succession, uh, isn't uh, it? Is yeah. it? Third or second, I thought. No, it's the second vice president. Is that? Yeah. So yeah, an incredibly powerful position. Yeah, especially as they're likely to enact, elect quite an old man. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they have quite an old man, um, and uh, are seemingly likely to have a rerun of the previous election at this point. So we're about to get into some really deep conversation. But have you yeah. seen Designated Survivor? Uh, no, I, I managed a few episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it was um, Kiefer Sutherland, wasn't it? Yes. And and this this guy, he was um, he was a senator. Um, okay. And, and when they were doing. Uh, the, the, the State of the Union address, or something yeah, like that, where, where every, yeah. everyone was in the uh, um, Capitol Hill building. Um, you know, he 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 had a job in government, okay, you know, but it was such a low-ranking job that he was the designated survivor in case anything happened to Senate. <laughs> uh, and obviously, <laughs> well, so he's kept away from the he's, Senate. He's kept away from it. Right, okay. <laughs> and then something happens to the sen- Senate, and then right. he's all of a sudden president. So, was this a comedy? Uh, uh, <laughs> no, not really. So, but, do you know? Do you remember King Ralph? Uh, which was John Goodman, he's like, discovers, because there's, uh, so they line up the full royal family right. for an outside photo, and a sudden uh, uh, rainstorm essentially electrocutes with lightning all of the top 18 in line to the throne. And wow. they go out to Vegas, where, where John Goodman is, uh, yeah, rescued as like the, the, the son of an earl of an earl of a son of a, you know, and he's like pulled as this uh, loutish American into the... Uh, the head of the royal family. So it sounds very similar. How did we get there? <laughs> well, I think you were describing the um, the, the state of politics in the US. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they have a, a, a speaker, uh, presumably who doesn't really believe in, let's say, bipartisanship, uh, consensus. It, it, um, it felt like that was a prerequisite to be elected as speaker. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. But they were the, the, the sort of the rump was the sort of moderate Republicans, so they've not held out basically. They've uh... and the Democrats haven't lent their votes to moderate mm. Republicans. Essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I do think that the kind of the two-party system, as I think the Americans call it, and I know that they have more than more than uh, two parties hoping to win seats. Um, you know, it just splits that. It creates this us and them tension so much. We have talked about uh, kind of uh, democratic structuring a little bit. Um, but you... except that, that that us and them has is during our lifetimes divided on economic differences, and now it's dividing on social yes. differences, and yeah. that's a much more dangerous, I think, political division line. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was listening to the Long View <laughs> coming into work one morning, uh, I think yesterday morning, uh, about uh, Robert Peel and the the loss of these sort of big figures at the height of parties, and I hadn't really realised that the essentially the Tory party split. Um, mm. when Peel uh, was kicked out after the repeal of the Corn Laws um, and took the moderate Conservatives, which he had named and created Conservative politics and, and, and made the Liberal Party mm. from, from, the, uh, from the Whigs. 
Um, so yeah, maybe maybe we're at this sort of moment where the fractures are needed, the crisis is needed because we'll get a new form of politics coming out the back of end, um, or maybe it's the beginning of the end, right? You know, who knows? And 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 do you think that the the investment world has fully sort of grasped hmm. some of these challenges yet? Just to bring it sort of slightly back on. So, <laughs> so I don't, and I've got I've got history here. I ran for parliament in twenty fifteen, mm, Labour, yeah. Labour yeah. Party in Battersea. I lost. Um, <laughs> the the process was miserable. It was absolutely yeah. miserable. So I had um, cat litter got poured through our campaign letter letterbox. I uh, had to move my daughter away from the window for fear of, you know, stones yeah, coming stones yeah. coming through uh, the, the window. Had a land registry check on my house because the opposition party wanted to see how much my mortgage was. It felt very personal, lots of yeah. lots of social media attacks, which we've now become used to. But at the time, it was still still navigating that. You wake up in the middle of the night and you start scrolling, and, you know, right, it talks right, about right. in very derogatory terms. And obviously, you're a volunteer as a candidate. You don't mm. get paid. You, mm. give, up, yeah, you yeah, give, yeah. give up your career that has quite quite few consequences on family life, creative element and, and, and so forth. I, I wouldn't, certainly when I've got kids at home, I, I just I just wouldn't do it again. So we're, we're simply not incentivizing, I think, people to put their names forward and try to get into politics. And then you have this massive detachment then because you've got incentive structure, which is essentially money in a thick skin in order to yeah. get into politics. And you've got the investment industry which is essentially quite te technical and and you know high caliber individuals extremely well remunerated very frustrated that you don't have any common dialogue between the sort of world of politics and the world of yeah. world of investment and then there's almost a sort of a frustration on the world of investment that politics doesn't understand it it's like well the structures that have been set up don't don't allow for that to, to, yeah. be, to be understood yeah. and um, and when when soon that rolled back the net zero commitments, the commitments around heat pumps, commitments around ele electric vehicles, there was very little investment noise on that. I mean, yeah. maybe there was behind the scenes and, you know, for, for, the, for those that, that did, then, then great. But m mostly investors, I think, think it's not their realm, yeah. even yeah. though their portfolios are essentially plus or minus a reflection of the real economy. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. You know, yeah. the, the beta in their portfolios is pretty much determined by the way in which political structures operate in the way in which policies get made and yet that that there's a detachment there between yeah, yeah. the world of investment and the world of politics yeah um certainly i think investors find it very difficult a to uh get inside the the tent of politics um because you can read the newspaper and get a view but actually successfully understanding what the the kind of groundswell of opinion on the back bench is yeah. or where those sort of consensuses may get to I think it's really, really difficult. Um, and B, to be, you know, if you look at the kind of US charges of ESG and woke, the, the framing of that as political means that it just feels like it's this sort of hot potato and it's very difficult to, you know, if you do that kind of what might be seen as lobbying activity, then, um, you know, maybe you're opening yourself up to that charge of doing, you know, ESG is like exactly. a political agenda. Um, so, so there's a bit of, that sort of division, um, and us trying to having these sort of binary narratives on stuff, which is social media, I think, um, that sort of simplification of, of the, the complexity of the real world is is kind of somewhere in the mix here, right? Yeah, and no, I think just, just one addition to that is I think mm. that the, the responsible investment industry has, they're, they're essentially their theory of change has been around public commitments. So it's yeah. going to yeah. sign up to this, put your name to this, publish a policy on this. And if you're a US asset manager right now, 
incredibly difficult to do. Yeah. Why, why would you attract attention by putting stuff on your website or signing yeah. up, signing up to initiatives? And so again, you've got a bit of a disconnect between the way in which the responsible investment community and the way in which many financial intermediaries are able to behave, and yeah. we've not been able to yeah, solve that. So just coming, go on. Well, there was a load of mansion house stuff yesterday, wasn't there? Yeah, I was, I was going to come to that in a second. Oh, yeah, give, okay. give me, give me, give me, give me, give me one second. So, so just thinking about those like TNFDs, yeah. um, uh, you know, that the, we need functioning kind of intergovernmental policy, right? Um, transnational. Um, so COP is obviously coming up in Dubai. Uh, related is the TCFD, which I think is sort of understood to be a success. There's many qualms that lots of different people can have with it. So uh, TNFD is obviously a lot more complex um, in the biodiversity is a lot more complex than three, four, five greenhouse gases. Uh, how do you think that kind of intergovernmental kind of progress is being made? Obviously, there's a different COP series. Yeah, well, um, you've mentioned it on the podcast uh, previously, but, but firstly, it's looking at where policymakers are intervening in the financial intermediation chain. Yeah. And so you can if if. Well, well, in fact, let's zoom out a little bit further. Mm -hmm. If you want to try and achieve some sort of social goal, you can use a fiscal intervention, which is what the US has done through their Inflation Reduction Act. Yeah. Or you could think about the role of capital markets and seek to direct capital markets towards social or public policy goals, which is the approach Europe and UK have taken, probably because they don't have the balance sheets of the of, of, yeah. of, of the US. And then when you think about so that, 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 that European and UK approach, you then think, OK, so where do you intervene in the market? Do you intervene on the supply? So mm -hmm. Companies, or do you intervene on the demand? So, in, in, in investors, and typically the approach has been to intervene on the demand. And yeah. so, we've, we've ramped up disclosure expectations on investors without yet really having mm. the full suite of disclosure expectations on companies. Yeah. The idea being that investors will then require the companies that they own to disclose. But it seems to me like that's quite a, a, a convoluted. Uh, approach towards trying yep. to achieve that goal. Now, when you look in within investors, it, it, in my view, it gets somewhat worse because the intervention has been through pension schemes rather than through asset managers. Yep. And pension schemes are typically the least resource part of the intermediation chain. Right. Yep. And so you've got, you know, the the the, the SIP, the chair statement, the implementation statement, the TC, TCFD reporting, and then a swathe of other voluntary disclosure initiatives coming towards pension schemes without the asset managers necessarily having those disclosures in place mm -hmm. themselves and without the companies in which they invest having those disclosures. But the pensions industry doesn't squeal enough on these things. Like, um, I think it's much easier um, from a policy making perspective to regulate trustees right. and to get and for the Treasury to get DWP to do some of the macro bidding yeah. than yeah. it is to sort of take on UK PLC. Do, do you think it's that deliberate? I think it's just powerfully for least resistance. Right, yeah. Um, and it's just the, the state of the world that we're in. Yeah. Is it something about the structure of the PLSA and... PLSA? You know, yeah. And is it a powerful enough lobby group? Yeah, 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 maybe. Well, we, you know, like, um, you know, there are probably more powerful lobby groups. Right. Um, and they're probably lobby groups with greater access to the Treasury. And um, I think when, when you're talking about some of these macro issues, that's where policy gets made. Mm. Um, you know, we've talked a, a bit about this before, but... Um, you know, you, you don't have to go back that far um, to see every regulatory or DWP statement about, you know, um, clamping down on costs and charges. Right. You know, yeah. um, you heard the TPR um, CEO yesterday um, totally change narrative. Mm. You know, it's all about, you know, making the best use of a, a wider investment set. Yeah. It's all about, you know, securing long term value for members. You know, the narrative has just, you know, flicked a switch. Yeah. Except the costs are now, in my, in my view, they're now hidden. So. 
the cost of preparing a TCFD report is not reflected in the member's statement. The cost of recategorizing a bunch mm. of Article 9 funds through to Article 8 funds and <laughs> the legal fees associated with that is not reflected in a member's statement. Yeah, so yeah. The, the, the fee on an asset manager might be, yeah. but the, there's quite a few hidden costs involved with mm. these with yeah. these disclosures yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously in a pension scheme, it's only got one place to land. Yes. Yeah, so the member. Yeah. I mean, there is a sponsor, but ultimately, even if they are a profit-making sponsor, then you know that's that's the mechanism. If they're a not-for-profit, there's a contribution they've made, and that's yeah. where it goes to. Um, so, yeah. And, and and you mentioned all these regulations as well. We've, we've sort of touched on that. But do you think that the industry has fully got to grips with a um, what they need to do to respond to these regulations and additional reporting requirements, and B, do you do you, do you think the industry sees it as you know, see how it all sort of fits together, and, and what's been trying to be achieved, or is it just a, so oh reckon, God, not another disclosure? Yeah, I, I reckon that's a loaded question. I think it is. Oh, oh God, well, not, not another disclosure. And if you think so, so you asked about T and FD. So it's the N standing for nature rather than the C standing for climate. Now, nature is degrees of complexity more than climate, and that's for a few reasons. So, firstly. Um, where if I emit a ton of greenhouse gas in the UK, it has the exact same atmospheric effects as if I emit a ton yep. of greenhouse gas in Brazil. Now, obviously, the the characteristics of land in the UK is completely different to the characteristics yep. of land in Brazil. So you, you, you've got to essentially a portfolio level metric is just nonsensical because um, it entirely depends on the geography of, of, of where the company is so, based. So, so you might do a, a positive intervention in the UK, but if you were to make the same intervention in Brazil, say, then it might be totally the wrong intervention. Is that is it, is it that simple, or, well, or how, how do you decide which interventions you should make? I think would be right. so. So you may well invest in a UK company, and it has a supply chain which extends to deforesting uh, in Brazil, or or tailings for minings, mm. or who knows. So, but it's a global portfolio. So, can I really address all of the wrongs of my global portfolio in the places that they have been yeah. wronged? Yeah. Ultimately, you're going to get some aggregation, aren't you? Yeah. So it could well be that your your intervention, even Brazil is a huge country, so it could be that your intervention says a species a thousand miles away <laughs> from where the tailings of the supply chain of 0.1% to 0.1% of your portfolio goes yeah. to. Um, so just, I mean, I've always struggled in, in our kind of, uh, particularly thinking about impact, with that link towards, people really don't want to talk about damage. People really don't want to talk about negative impact of portfolios. But particularly when I was at the People's Pension, I was like, well, hang on, the people we're looking after have not been positively impacted by society in general. They are the lower paid people. Yeah. So how do I justify essentially spending some of their money on reforesting or whatever the you know social uh, programs in the emerging market? I, I sort of got to the point where I, I, I could justify it if I'm correcting the damage that that portfolio did in helping them to retire. Right. Um, but it's very difficult to justify, I think, as like a, this portfolio should create positive change uh, in the rest of the world without necessarily seeing that positive change at the least being biased towards the UK where the members might benefit from it. So some of those narratives, I don't know, there's, there's, we'll come on to kind of what greenwashing looks like. I think we're going we're gonna to go through a full spectrum of greenwashing over the next uh, <laughs> decade or so. But just having that kind of consistency of strategy, consistency of what you're trying to achieve... Um, how you think about it as well as how you talk about it. Yeah. I think it's just, it, it, it's one of the major challenges here because mm. there's lots of performative, simple narratives that you scratch the surface of and go, okay, all right, what are you actually doing? Yeah. Um, so speaking of which, shall I try and segue to my news story? <laughs> 
So, um, Mansion House. You, well, it's not really Mansion House. It is. We'll, we'll touch on Mansion House. Um, so a bit like I think last week or two weeks ago, I, I slightly mocked the pensions industry for sharing uh, on LinkedIn photos of people on trains. Week. That was last week. Photos of people on trains. Um, all of uh, you wonderful listeners, I'm sure, successfully managed to catch a train <laughs> to Manchester and were so proud of yourselves that you took photos. Um, Getting back was a lot harder, though. I think there was hours of delays. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, now a, a more limited number are successfully mansioning, uh, uh, signing a piece of paper. Mansion um, housing. Yeah. which makes promises for the next generation of uh, the leaders of those businesses to put 5% of a liquid assets into their portfolios by 2030, a target thereof. Um, and but is it into their portfolio? Well, you know, there, there is but, a wider question. In terms of the photo opportunity, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little bit like um, when uh, you know Arsenal sign a youth and you've got like Mikel Arteta standing over one shoulder and Edu standing over the other um, because uh, various people have had uh, Jeremy Hunt standing on one shoulder. I guess he's the, the manager. No, I don't know. Um, and uh, Nicholas Lyons, yeah. the Lord Mayor, uh, standing over the other. So I've seen on LinkedIn now a few of these photos or, or zoom ins on, on signatures and stuff like that. Uh, but the story I wanted to talk about. Uh, was an FT story which is MPs pension fund shuns UK equities, oh. <laughs> um, which rather demonstrates the left hand not really caring what the right hand is saying or something along those lines. Um, so it's in the FT. Um, essentially, so that mansion house stuff kind of started with this hypothesis that the UK is suffering from a lack of investment, um, that pension funds have uh, essentially through discovering that the Chicago school existed and de-risking their DB schemes have dropped their their asset holdings of the UK equities dramatically um, and so to kind of correct the balance let's have this commitment for people to originally invest in the UK uh, we, got, we you know that got diluted so it's now investing in private markets globally and we covered uh, Asia investor today or whatever the, the magazine was who said, is this a feeding frenzy for Asian investors, dot, 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 yes. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, the parliamentary pension scheme invests 1.7%, uh, according to the FC, uh, in UK listed companies. Um, your, your assumption here, though, is that the parliamentary, <laughs> parliamentary pension scheme should be held to a higher degree of standard than the non-parliamentary one, right? I think the assumption behind the story uh, is <laughs> is that um, if you're a politician and you expect certain things to be done with your politics, um, then it might be useful to uh, make sure you're not undermined by your pension scheme. But that, that itself also makes an assumption that in some way the ministers represent Parliament, which they don't. Which is no, no. Um, and that that pension scheme is sort of exclusively for the political government, um, as opposed to all of the past representatives who've never made it even into the front benches, yeah. um, which, uh, you know, it is. Um, so, uh, yeah, there's... Uh... There's a great um, quote, I think it's from Tom Selby. Right. Um, in there, which is like, something like, oh, well, this is awkward, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Very understated. It's it is awkward. awkward. I, I, I'll have to, give me a second to find it, but there's also the response from them. Um which says um, we have a responsibility to get the best returns possible. Uh, if that is in the UK, we invest in the UK. If not, we won't. <laughs> so, you know, there we go. Yeah, because um, there was quite a lot of Mansion House stuff yesterday as well, wasn't there? There was a lot of Mansion House stuff. Yeah, so they, I think they were back in the Mansion House for a conference and this signing ceremony. Oh. 
um, uh, well, Greg uh, took a photo from yeah. sort of underneath Jeremy Hunt, which I thought, <laughs> you know, well done, Greg. Uh, <laughs> love him to bits. Uh, so, um, what's yeah. your view of his stuff, Will? Well, I think the thing, the thing that's quite interesting is this idea of concessionary investing, which you, mm. you mentioned twice, right? So the first time you mentioned around correcting the externalities of investment activities within people's pension. Yeah. Because essentially, yeah. You're, you're essentially saying that you're comfortable doing that, even yeah. if it might be at some form of concession. Yeah. And the second is around whether or not the parliamentary pension scheme should lead by example. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. over-invest in a home market, even if that's a, some form of yeah. concession. Yeah. Mm. And I think the, the if you're an advocate of that, the big problem is how does the current governance frameworks determine how much concession is the right amount of concession? Yeah. And on what topics? And how do you seek member input on yeah. and, and, yeah. and so forth? I think my view would be that that's not a, 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 a useful pathway for us to start to go down because yeah. it's, it becomes increasingly complicated and the governance structures that we've got in place around private capital don't really allow for uh, frameworks that, 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 that allow us to solve that, that question. But you can get there through enlightened long-term financial in interest, which is around addressing yeah. a systemic risk. Right. And so the systemic risk from the perspective of a UK allocation might be that we do need to invest in UK infrastructure, we do need to invest in UK housing or whatever else it may yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. And failing to do so creates a systemic risk uh, that was going to disrupt the UK economy, which is not going to be in the long-term financial interest of savers. Yeah. Or the approach to deforestation says that actually deforestation, again, is a systemic issue and it's going to start to disrupt the carbon sequestration capabilities of biomes across the world and unless we have some sort of concerted action to try and address that and that's going to be yeah. a systemic risk to so things like pollination agriculture and so forth yeah. within yeah. the portfolio so i i think i so i agree but i disagree with the framing so okay. so i think it's about time horizon um, okay. and objective um so it is not the objective of a pension scheme to maximize returns by the way that's that's such a it's a, such a low level kind of piece right it is the objective of a pension scheme, a defined benefit scheme, to offer the security of the promises that were given to them by their employer. Um, so you can go from there to say, OK, so what gives security to the member of the House of Parliament uh, that their future accrual, as much as their past accrual, will be paid out to them? And there must be something about a thriving UK economy there, if you have the right sort of time horizon. And there must be something about you know food and uh, water systems mm -hmm. surviving. So if you can have... Uh, a cohort of fiduciaries who think 50 years out, then actually I don't think you have to kind of carve out returns as this sort of special risk and returns as this sort of special thing. It is just a sort of sub-objective. There's no point taking more risk than you need to in achieving your outcomes, but you don't measure risk as a volatility on a, on a kind of Bloomberg terminal. You have to measure that kind of long-term risk. Um, the finance industry is very bad at that. Yeah. Very, very bad at that. Uh, and to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail, right? Yeah. So, yeah, well, so well, capitalism's very bad at that, isn't it? Because it's all um, it's all short term, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, so maybe financial capitalism. Mm. I'm not sure that capitalism per se has always been. Um, you know, the, the the Quakers and the founders of Cadbury were very good at thinking about those sort of holistic systems. Mm. Um, you know, uh, the the sort of Fordism, and uh, you know, that's it. I wouldn't point the finger at capitalism. Right. I would point the finger at market financial capitalism. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maths. Maths is not really the only thing here, right? Um, Physically. 
Well, uh, one has to uh, be able to speak the language to, to <laughs> translate uh, exactly the madness that, that goes on in, in its name. Um, but yeah, so, so, so the role of that sort of concessionary uh, investment, um, there is definitely a kind of subscale problem where I'd hope that either through direct subsidy or some sort of concessionary um, uh, you know, requirement, you can make these industries go from subscale to scale. Uh, and then you can res you can remove that concessionary nature. But that's a policy intervention, isn't yes, it? Yeah, it yeah. Is, yeah, yeah. So, so you take a first loss position, whatever else, it, yeah, whatever yeah. else it may be, and you allow trustees. And I think this is where the solution for me would be in TPR guidance that says that actually for portfolio diversification benefits, it does make sense to have a liquid investments and that you should think um, about investments that have different return profiles from perhaps, yeah. perhaps listed markets and to put some structure around that. Same with stewardship yeah. as well. So stu stewardship is essentially a cost and the benefit of that, 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 that stewardship activity is shared across the market. So the the individual pays, but the the, 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 bene the benefit is shared. And again, if the TPR were to put some structure around what a adequate level of stewardship resourcing ought to be both mm -hmm. at the pension scheme level and at the asset manager level then just gives a bit of a guidance to allow the market to structure itself around yeah them. yeah um one other related topic because uh, last week um was it one last week two weeks ago i, I talked about the RF letter so the association mm. of real estate funds um and essentially uh these uh funds which are increasingly being gated um uh, uh, essentially they're sort of daily traded funds but they have this gating mechanism um, and uh, it was I can't remember whose fund it was but a, another fund to add to the list I think M&G was last week um, and uh, yeah one of the funds reported again just think about the FT um, I can't remember the name of the fund but said like 80% I think of members had tried to withdraw their money in the last week um, so chaos in the property market uh, at the property fund market mm. um, RF obviously highlighted that uh, there was this sort of um, epistle coming from the FCA saying all of these funds should be daily traded and have no gating allowed. Uh, and RF saying, well, the, the net consequence of that is all of these funds will be closed. Um, and so you will net have, uh, you know, people selling down their UK property assets. Um, this is not a route to investing in the UK. So the, they had sort of two policy interventions. Um, the first was to delay that and the second maybe it's the other way around is essentially to mandate platforms to be able to deal with illiquid assets yeah so i do think there's an inst inst uh, infrastructure problem here um where essentially we've allowed life company platforms to to get away with it um to to push this sort of daily traded uh, mentality we were talking um amongst uh, amongst watching arsenal win uh, about the weekly trading system yeah. that I had uh, at, at Barclays. Come out with us, will we? Watch Norwich and talk about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, but we had a weekly trading system. Yeah. And, um, you know, could I have put into it a kind of quarterly closed annual fund? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, you could have done yeah. it. Uh, but when we went onto the the world's best third party administrator, Towers Watson, um, they said this isn't standard, mm. and you know, non-standard equals risk. Right? But, but there is a question here about whether we've got the shape of DC structured right. Mm. You know, like why? What you know? Like we all love. Well, I, I love internet banking. I love things being instant, being able to send yep. money yep. to Nico for for the beers he's bought. You know, and it appears there, you know, instantly. You know. 
Um, you don't <laughs> Did need you last do that? I haven't seen it appear <laughs> um, instantly. Oh, um, well. But you know, but, it, but in pensions, it, that doesn't need to happen. Yeah. So yeah. this this whole thing about daily trading, it doesn't just affect the investment side of things. Yeah. But it also affects pensions as a product side of things as well. Yeah. So. You know, like, why do you need that ultimate liquidity? Why do you need to sort of transfer instantly yeah. in a long-term product? You want the tra the transfer process to be effective. Yeah. You want to guard against scams, and we had Margaret on last week yeah. who talked yeah. very well about scams and stuff. But you know, in this rush to be sort of totally digital and totally instant, yeah, I'll be losing some of the the real value in terms of that long-term nature of the pension system. Well, so, and so, should we be actually thinking about okay, is this path the right one? Yeah, I mean, so it's almost coming back to the previous story. Is like we are playing to uh, human nature in a way that um, a paternalistic institutional structure would, in some way, calm. Right. Yeah. So, of course, we want things instant and transparent and visible, but actually, not everything is amenable to instantaneous transparency. And um, to some extent, you um, you kind of destroy the thing that you're trying to get transparent on. Yeah. Um, we, we didn't talk about Schrodinger's cat, but uh, <laughs> there is something about looking in the box too often. Yes. Right? But we have talked about Aspinall's dog. Yeah. Aspinall's dog, yeah. We have. <laughs> right, so, do you have a new story for us? I, I do, I do, but I'm going to make it really quick because okay. we're going massively over time. But and this, is, this isn't so much a new story, it's a press release that came around earlier uh, from AJ Bill. Um, colleague of, of Tom Selby, who I think went, went yes. earlier. Awkward. Um, uh, Laura, look from Laura Suter, who's the head of personal finance, and this is all about uh, pension credit. So this is this is nothing to do with investment. It's nothing to do with private pensions. But this is the means-tested benefit uh, yeah. we have in our in our pension system. Uh, basically, um, tops up um, as single person's income to two hundred and one pound and five pence a week, and for a couple, it's three hundred and six pound and eighty five. And I think um, they've done some analysis of some government figures um, demonstrating that, um, you know, 2.1 billion of money is going unclaimed um, per, annum. Per, per annum in this, which is absolutely is astronomical. Staggering, yeah. um, but also the, the key thing is that, you know, and they, this could make a real difference yeah. to low income households. Yeah. But pension credit is also a passport onto other benefits like mm, housing benefit mm, and yeah free TV licenses for over 75s and all, yeah. on all sorts, yeah. So there's, the people are probably missing out on an additional 1.3 billion there as well. So potentially, that is the government being 3.5 billion, give or take a bit, better off because of the claim system around uh, around pension credit. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, as I've probably said before on this podcast, I used to you know work at the Treasury. Um, you know, pension credit is a complicated benefit. It's a mm. benefit you have to claim for football the um the form isn't necessarily easy you know is there a better way of actually getting this yeah. money into people's pockets because you know um once you get to a certain age filling in forms yeah um is actually pretty tricky for people yeah 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 so not as highfalutin and well, not uh, well, uh you know um, what happens to the money then well the, 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 you know it's 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 down the back you, of the sofa can you do a historic claim on this if you you can you can backdate the claim Mm. Um, but it, I think you can backdate it. I, I'll probably get this wrong. I haven't looked at it for years, but it's probably three months or something like that or to the I beginning see. of the financial year. But but basically what happens is the government will do what's called an annually managed expenditure forecast, of which this is. Um, it will assume yeah. some element of non-take-up. Right. You know, um, but equally, anything that um, 
anything that isn't actually claimed just is a is a bit of a windfall bonus for yeah. um, when it comes to those pre-election giveaways. There's there's the money for your first loss positions in the infrastructure investments, isn't it? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd rather actually see it go to um, poor pensioners that um, well, it could, need it. But yeah, I, I totally, I totally, it, I totally it, get the point. It, yeah. Assuming there's, there's always going to be some leakages. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, I, I remember looking. Uh, don't know if I should say this or not, but we were looking at automaticity. Um, and could you actually Sorry. Aut automaticity? This Automation. Is, autom well, no, no, we called it automaticity because <laughs> okay. it was civil service. But yeah. we're looking. It's like the English version. Is there a way? <laughs> is, is there a way through real time information, through you know um, how the how we do tax and benefits now? Yeah. That you know we should have all the information that if someone um, is entitled to these benefits, we should just be able to pay them. Right. You know there is no need for, for the vast majority of people. Yeah, especially um, lower-income people, those without huge savings, to actually have to go through the torture of filling in a government form to, to get these benefits. But anyway, yeah. Well, maybe we give it to everyone and uh, claim it back. You know, universal. universal. Is, 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 I went went to Share Actions uh, event last night. I had a lecture a lecture with Professor Oliver Hart, and was, but but one of the one of the guests said that the average person retires with 11 different pension schemes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Got 11 different pension schemes, plus the complexity of state benefits. It's bonkers. Yeah. It's absolutely bonkers. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've done justice to the news. Probably think we've done it, right? <laughs> Probably over justice. Will, tell us, how did you get into pensions? Okay. So, um, my motivation set is around sustainability and pensions was the conduit, if you like, that I felt that I could deliver on that motivation set. Yeah, yeah. So I studied maths, went and joined JP Morgan's grad scheme, uh, went and worked for BNP Paribas in credit trading and wasn't getting a sense of purpose. So I hit, hit 30 and decided I needed to address that in my life and worked for Oxfam for a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oxfam was a wonderful institution to work for, but I found myself constantly, I was engaging the private sector on Oxfam, sustainability things, but found myself having to always justify to Oxfam staff why they'd want to engage the private sector. And it was, right. it was a more kind of a, a more internally focused role than, than, than I'd expected. But during that time, I discovered PRI, yeah. so the UN Principles for Responsible Investment. At the time, I think on something like the 32nd employee, there's now well over 200. Right. Mm -hmm. It's about 2 million a year in signatory income at that point. It's now, I think, well over 25 million. It's grown rapidly in, yeah. in a decade. Spent seven years there working in policy and regulation and was asking pension schemes, other asset owners and asset managers to make a series of commitments. But because I'd never done that myself, it's, it, it felt somewhat fraudulent. I was trying yeah. to get private sector actors to make commitments that I'd not had to I'd not had to do and wanted to see that firsthand and so then decided I needed to leave P PRI and and work directly in industry and came across Cardano now Cardano was perfect for me for a number of reasons so firstly they were at the beginning of their sustainability story they made rapid yep. progress in the last four or five years but at the time um, I was really able to shape the way in which Cardano was thinking about sustainability issues, but also Cardano is a, co a collection of firms coming under the Cardano group. So it right. now Pensions, mm -hmm. uh, which is an all-time master trust with now, I think, well over 2 million uh, savers, mm -hmm. uh, predominantly focusing on savers with uh, part-time work, gig economy mm -hmm. work, uh, flexible work and so forth. And it's very good at doing that. You also had a fiduciary manager and advisor through 
Kidano Risk Management Limited. Then you had a Dutch entity, and a Dutch entity then acquired Actium, which was a, a, a Dutch asset right. manager. So, yeah. so within one firm, got to see it, it, to some extent the entire intermediation chain: the pensions, the fiduciary manager, and the asset manager. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and really, 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 really loved that. And then. Um, hit 40, had another inflection point in life. So, <laughs> so um, I know there is, isn't there? <laughs> Wait till I get to 50. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, really enjoyed the implementation aspects of, uh, of Kidana. I wanted to see whether I could essentially prioritize that, take, take that elsewhere. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, that was quite hard to do within Cardano's, uh, within Cardano as a business because essentially the client, typical client base would be an, an asset manager and other asset managers would see Cardano as an asset manager and be a bit reluctant yeah, to sort of in, yeah. engage in a consulting relationship. So with Cardano's support and blessing, and you know, I've got very a number of friends that still work there, and sort of very fond memories of my experience there, decided I'd establish my own consultancy firm and did so with a Cardano colleague, a guy called Ben right. Wilmot, yeah. he's got a technology, um, uh, and uh, I think he's an actuary, an actuary, he was at KPMG, oh. I know. Oh, he's one of the anyway, brethren. Yeah, then. Uh, did he vote for Well, I'll find out. <laughs> Um, and um, yeah, the sort of the the, the 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 sweet spot we're trying to trying to serve within Canbury is that is around implementation. So we haven't mm. we've we've not gone with a dashboard or a set of you know, predefined ESG metrics. Our approach is to say to a pension scheme, but also an asset manager or company. Um, we're, we've, we're experienced, we've got sustainability expertise, we've been working on this for between us you know, sev several decades. Mm -hmm. Tell us tell us the pain points, let us help us help, help us understand the problem, and then we'll come back with a solution that we think, you know, can draw on our expertise, but really help you to solve that problem. It's not adding to someone's workload, but really trying to free up their yeah. workload. And, you know, the, the, many sustainability teams are overwhelmed with the volume of disclosure initiatives, new sustainability yeah. themes, client demands, new reporting obligations, and so forth. And, and specifically focused on biodiversity? No, so, no, so the broad sustainability spectrum, yeah. Yeah. the, the, the we've, been, we've been successful in winning a few clients, but the one client that we, we're able to talk about at this stage is the PRI, and we're supporting them in their collaborative uh, stewardship initiative on nature. It's called Spring, okay. um, and it looks at the way in which companies use their political engagement to either undermine or or support policies and regulations that are there to protect against deforestation. Yeah. And so that's the that's the topic that we're currently quite vocal about. It's, it's, not, it's not a bad first client, is it? It's, it's a wonderful first client. Yeah, so you've been, how long have you been going? Yeah, four weeks. Four weeks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and you've yeah. already got the POI. Yeah, 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 and 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 the bit that the bit that we, I mean, it's it's not my wheelhouse, it's Ben's, but the bit that we've tried to incorporate in our solution set is the use of AI. So mm -hmm. yeah. AI people, people, some people run for the hills and and and, and sort of think, you know, what on earth is it? Another gimmick. And then another group of people have sort of experimented with the free versions of ChatGPT, which are essentially inaccurate. They're kind of prototype versions. Yeah. They use stale data. The up-to-date, paid-for, premium versions are—I I can't tell you how powerful yeah. that they are. They're just extraordinary. So everything from, for example, my—I've—I've—I've uh, I've, I've put in my details about my family, where we want to go on holiday, what my daughter wants to do, and what my son wants to do, and it comes back with an itinerary for me. It's right. just, it's just yeah. the, the, how far to drive, where to book, how much yeah. it's going to cost. Yeah. It's just—it's just wonderful. So it's, it's sort of something that we can—it's a, a set of tools essentially. Yeah. And yeah. the bit that we're using AI for within the business is around data sets. So yeah. um, in our view, you can access very uh, useful, high quality decision, uh, useful data sets within the public realm through the use of AI in a way that previously you'd have to pay right. for through a third party provider. Yeah. Yeah. 
and and actually when you design it yourself through a series of Python is a programming language, Python yeah. scripts and AI, you're you're able to customize it in a way that you want. So you don't have to buy fifteen thousand data or is it fifteen thousand companies and then you know maybe a hundred data points per, per per company. You don't have to buy that. You can look at your portfolio, you can look at the top positions, you can understand your beliefs, and then you can design a series of scripts that help pull the data that's really important and powerful to you, whether it's greenhouse gas emissions metrics or nature or gender equality metrics or modern slavery issues, and you can then really pinpoint that and it's actually a much more useful set of data yeah. than what we've been used to within within the sort of ESG data world. I know we're doing a podcast so we can't see the visuals on this, but the smile on Will's face when he started <laughs> talking about AI and the power of AI was a joy to behold. <laughs> There's no hand gestures. There's no hand gestures. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone, someone much smarter than me just sort of said that AI, the acronym's the wrong way around. It's just intelligence augmented. Essentially, it's just, right. it's just, a, tool, yeah. it's just yeah. a tool set. And the skill comes in knowing which AI platforms to use, how to manipulate them, and, and how to then use that data. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That sounds fantastic. And, and uh, slightly off the wall question but uh, Canbury what, what is the name no it's a, it's a good question so um uh I live in Kingston I'm, I'm frustrated with, I had my bike stolen overnight from, yeah, from, so my, from my garden so I'm frustrated with Kingston I was on the phone to the police they, they I was I'm quite impressed they sent around a forensics team the the, oh, wow. the, the people that uh, stole the bike left four beer cans in my garden it was very kind of them so I, I think they were going to come around and see if they could um so they told me that it's rain since, so they can't oh, do that. Uh, oh, I was like, oh, anyway. <laughs> um, but Canbury is a very beautiful part of the Thames Riverfront between Kingston and Ham. And it's okay. a yeah, place where I so go happy, running, happy I go place. canoeing, yeah. my kids have okay. play around there. It's a few tennis courts. It's nice. Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah. Okay. So you're into canoeing? I mean, I wouldn't say in. <laughs> I go canoeing. Yeah. I don't know. So yeah, um, paddleboarding. Uh, paddleboarding. Oh, I love yeah, paddleboarding too. Yeah. Um, but but the last two times, we 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 only went once this once this year because it was it was miserable summer, really. And um, we 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 took the paddleboards out on the river. Yeah. And literally after the minute, I'd fallen in. Had you? Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd just gone. You don't want to do that. <laughs> it was just like luckily it was quite a warm day. Right. Um, we 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 tend to have one of the kids on the front of each paddleboard. That's yeah. Nice. And poor old Hannah was holding on for dear life oh. as I sort of careered into this river. <laughs> Jessica was like, "I'm never ever going on a paddleboard with you, Dad." Yeah. It's become it's become extremely popular, hasn't it? I mean, during, during those super hot days we had in September, I was amazed at the number of people yeah. that were lying on paddleboards watching iPads. I know. It was well, like, yeah, I'm just, right. just using that. it as like a sort of lilo, as in yeah. sort of you know on a beach in Ibiza or whatever, watching a watching yeah. a film. It's I've like... never done it. I've, never done it. <laughs> um, I've invited you. I know you have. Um, you just need to travel outside. You, you offer to pay for the beers, I buy you as well. So, um, <laughs> so, um, so it's a it's a new business. It's a new um, business. I dare say we'll have a few listeners who might be interested. What do you think? What's your kind of 30 second pitch? So, so at, at the moment, if you've got an ESG related problem, you've got two yeah. solutions. You either hire someone, huge premium on the ESG skill set, yeah. very expensive. And even then, they're not going to have potentially access to all the data sets. Yeah. Or you go to one of the big four, very good at what they do. But yeah. you typically get you know, a very senior person give you the sales proposition, a very junior person to, to deliver that. And they're also very expensive. We're, we're, somewhere in, we're somewhere in the middle. We can get the job done. We've got the seniority but we've got much lower yeah. overheads and we can do it at a much more cost effective price whether that's tcfd reporting stewardship code reporting sdr when it comes out sfdr yeah. or broader strategy development whether it's on nature climate change or any other sustainability issue that you're interested in um and that's all underpinned by the latest technologies which we've been able to you know re really experiment with and understand their yeah. capabilities awesome and i mean i think that you know some, some of the schemes have spent over six figures on 
on TCFD reporting, and we right. reckon we can get that closer to 10K. Right. Uh, uh, the, the, the governance, the reporting, the me the metrics, the scenario analysis, and the target setting, it just doesn't need to be anything like the price that, that many schemes have, have forked out over the last yeah, couple yeah. of years. Yeah. But there is, there is a chunk of the TCFD sort of process in getting the, the trustees trained and aligned, right? So. If, if, sure, sure, but then essentially we we see it in three parts. You've got your, you've yeah. got your your training and your governance. So that's you know one one set one set of actions. You've then got your metrics. Again, you just can use AI to get that for you these days, and yeah. they're more reliable, and you can better understand them. And then you've got the target setting, the ongoing monitor, mo yeah. monitoring of that, yeah. and you know there's frameworks with, with with so there's frameworks that you can take off the shelf, and the same with the governance, yeah. you can take yeah. policies off the shelf, and then then just make sure that they're personalised, direct to the beliefs of the yeah. trustee. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't need to be more complicated. Yeah, yeah. Well, wish you all the best. Thank you. That. It sounds it. absolutely fantastic. You. And, you know, four weeks in, yeah. Yeah. you've still got a smile on your face, which, have, is, yeah. which is great. <laughs> and um, there'll be ups it's a roller and downs. Yeah. 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 There'll be ups and downs, but it sounds like you've got an amazing proposition. Thank yeah. you. And, yeah. um, well, you know, given your backstory and your CV and that, if anyone can do it. Yeah, and how can, can people contact you if, if they're listening? So, we, so Canbury, C-A-N-B-U-R-Y dot I-O, I-O is a, a new form of domain name anyway, Canbury dot I-O, and it's will.martindale.canbury.io if they want to get in touch. Fantastic. And, um, you know, when you get all the thousands of requests in from our listeners, you know, we, have that <laughs> we pay you a feed, is that right? Yeah, yeah. In, so introduction, <laughs> capital introduction. <laughs> it's very modest, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we should have negotiated that before, should we? <laughs> So, so speaking of uh, fees, um, <laughs> well, what does value for money mean to you? So, so, so the the thing that I would like to introduce is the concept of purpose and what's the role mm. of the capital market. Mm. And I see the capital market as essentially an efficient store of value for savers in order to ensure that that money is put to productive means. Yeah. And so, value for money is everything that then goes around to ensure that that's the case. Now, the system that's evolved over the period of you know four hundred years of sort of financial capitalism, I would argue isn't 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 meeting that. It's not it's not effective. We've got very convoluted intermediation chains, very frag in the UK, very fragmented pension scheme structures under mm -hmm. un, 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 under resourced, very reliant on service service provision and high high fees in in, in asset allocation, mm -hmm. and the, the the connection between the provider of capital, the saver, whether that's someone with a few hundred pounds in a mutual fund or a pension scheme or whatever else it may be, and then the user of capital, the company that's reliant on that funding in order for them to expand and be economic successful and contribute towards economic growth that chain has become so complicated and there's yeah. so much rent extraction that actually that va value for money is 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 not an attribute I think that can be applied to the way in which capital the capital markets are current currently working in in the in the terms of pension scheme I mean we sort of the the the, the and, and this is something that I've, I've thought a lot about in, in it, uh, my own personal convictions around sustainability and the outcomes of that. Now, that's different from the legal structures in with, within which many of the institutions I've worked for were able to operate. And it's important to separate those two. So typically there is a, uh, a returns obligation. You said it's not about maximizing returns, but there is some form of returns obligation for most financial yeah. market actors. I've got my own personal motivations and convictions around uh, around sustainability, and I see that as a con con conduit to do that. So value for money, I'm quite comfortable paying a higher fee for higher quality investment decision making if I can see that that's being used in a cost-effective way, again, addressing those challenges of the convoluted investment chain and delivering some form of sustainability outcome. Yeah, yeah. So um, loads of time back there. So um, 
how do you think institutions, so the, 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 the pension schemes, should start to value that, those commons? Because as you said, uh, when we're talking a little bit about stewardship, you know, it, it could be that you, you pay a higher fee to, to do better stewardship, um, but every shareholder kind of benefits. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to frame it on that sort of selfishness and attribution, but, but I'm sure that's somewhere, the fear is somewhere in the mind that I could be held to account for some poor cost benefit type decisions. How do you think we as a system, or maybe those pension schemes, should be kind of addressing, particularly, I guess, biodiversity? Is, it, is, is, is maybe the hardest on the risk return side as well, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the first thing I'd start with, sounds sounds like a sort of odd starting point, but it's understanding the limitations of private capital. So yeah. we, we sort of, the responsible investment industry has grown very rapidly and very organically, and it's kind of become a sort of plug-and-play type approach. It's like, oh, what's your problem? Stuck, stick it in right. and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And, 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 and so forth. And we've made over sort of 15, 20 years of responsible investment, a series of promises about what responsible investment could deliver that, in my yeah. view, are, are overstated. You mentioned green, green, greenwashing mm. earlier, but they're not going to achieve those types of problems on their own. They can, they, yeah. can, they can help make those types of decisions more likely. They can yeah. plug gaps in policy decision-making. They can help finance new forms of innovation. And there's a bunch of stuff that they can do, but we need to be clear, we need to be first, first we need to be clear on on the limitations. And then within those limitations, we then need to, I think, start to think about focus and purpose. Mm. So much more clear on the delivery. What it is it what is it that we're trying trying to achieve? How are we going to get there? What happens if it goes wrong? What are the escalation yeah, yeah. what are the escalation points and so forth? So that, that's the sort of conceptual framework within the way that sort of I've, I've thought, thought about it over a number of years. Pra practically, and I mentioned it earlier, but I think I think you want more attention towards investment strategies that are confident communicating sustainability outcomes so what's the strategy going to achieve and that can be within a risk return context but 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 much clearer around what the impact or the outcome might be of the strategy and so that's kind of one one intervention i think tpr guidance around that would be very helpful mm -hmm. typically yeah. we thought about that as impact investing but impact investing has a series of uh, connotations yeah. we think of it as only in private markets i don't think that i don't think that needs to be uh, the case we think it often is sort of very high fee again i don't think that needs to be the case Case. Yep. We think of it as concessionary again. I don't think that needs to be the case. So I'm sort of deliberately framing that as investing with outcomes. Yep. Yep. Um, and then the second thing is around stewardship. Stewardship, in, in my view, is is uh, um, I think well, the way the way, way PRI frames it. It's sort of it's, it's it's our it's currently unrealized, but it's our best hope. They've got some sort of better language around around it. But it's you know it, it essentially essentially stewardship is not particularly well resourced. The the, the seniority of the staff involved in, in, right. in stewardship are unlike to really take on a company's management or board in the way that that, that is some, some, sometimes that's needed. We often disconnect stewardship from the investment thesis, from yeah. voting activities. We often disconnect stewardship from policy engagement, from lobbying group membership uh, activities and, and, and so forth. It feels like something that has to be done rather than something that links back to the ideas that I, I sort of put forward around around purpose and sort of that value, values even, yeah. where, 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 where is stewardship going? So much better resource stewardship with clear guidance around that and clear outcomes focus is where I think practically we can make some make some progress. Yeah. And just um we've we've talked a lot about some of the DWP activity on this. Yeah. And they've obviously got their value for money 
consultation. Yes. Um, and we put a great response in, didn't we, Nico? We did a fantastic <laughs> one. Yeah, we, I, I don't know if you've the listened. The best. Yeah, no. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yes. Um, we don't know if they listened either. <laughs> we were mentioned in their consultation response. Yeah, but that literally, uh, I've said this to you before, that was literally a list of people who responded. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't like It's uh, like entering Nico a pensions award, isn't it? And making yeah. a short list. Yeah. Yes. We've all been there. We've God, all been that there. would be a great idea. I wonder, is there a podcast to what? Anyway, oh, that's no, no, maybe no, no. that's related. <laughs> um, is it going to move the dial? Do you think they're going in the right direction on this? You know, what's your not not of the detail on that, but do you, do you, do you think that government really gets this stuff and and its interventions can make a difference? Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not too familiar with the consultation, but the the what the wider policy frameworks around it, um, I, I think there are some issues with them. Even TCFD reporting, you said it's been a success. I'd I'd, I'd agree with that, but but we we going through an annual TCFD reporting cycle. You finish one report, you start straight away, <laughs> yeah, yeah, straight yeah. straight away on the next. Again, you start to start, start to lose sight of the purpose of it. The implementation statements are essentially legalistic. They're not really telling yeah. savers exactly why you're doing what you're doing. They're kind of you know follow, following the letter following the letter of the law. We, we, we within the inv investment industry, we're so focused on metrics that it, mm. stewardship comes down to votes. And you know, v voting is an important, but it's only part of the stewardship, yeah. stewardship process. And typically those votes are things like, did you vote for this resolution? Well, it's, yeah. it's sort of, it, it, it distills a very complicated, very thoughtful, nuanced, and, and for, for the professionals involved in it, a highly experienced set of activities down to a single data point. And it, yeah. it, 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 it feels that the disclosure frameworks that the DWP has introduced in good faith, and I think, you know, the various pension ministers that we've had have all been very committed on this topic and they've, they've, they've each made the contribution and they've each done well, but the, 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 the culmination of those interventions is quite a lot of disclosures that no one reads and no one yeah. really understands that lose sights of purpose. My leading question, well, which really. costs six figures. Yeah. <laughs> costs six figures and, 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 and dominates trustee yeah. agenda time in a way that maybe could be spent more effectively. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Interesting. So, um, what, what does success look like for your business? Um, you know what, what you know you've obviously got your plans you've got your website and you know you've 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 done all the like the initial stuff um but but where do you want to get to over the next so like, what's the two three four years <laughs> you, sound, you, sound like, you sound like our shareholders well, the, um, <laughs> bank managers yeah well that, that, that too i mean look, look, we, we we we're motivated in two well maybe three ways so so one way you know running a business a sense of ownership is is is, is a motivation it's a characteristic that, that you know I, I i find find motivating but it's sort of two perhaps more more important ways one is that we need to make the business profitable now that mm -hmm. that means we need to grow our client base to yeah. allow us to start to hire and start to ensure that the yeah. business can can be self-sufficient and unreliable uh, unreliant on the, in, the 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 seed capital but the second is uh, and maybe it sounds a bit naive but it is around the the impact of the work that we're we're doing we've identified a way in which the market's not working properly mm. because the service provision is not there mm. we've got a new set of tools through ai we we want to try and make sure that the clients that we're working with are improving whatever it is that they're, they're they've set out set out to do and typically those are on topics that we have high conviction around so whether it's climate change yeah. or nature or social issues human rights or whatever it may be got personal convictions around that and if we can help investment allocators and decision makers use their time and their energy and their investment capital more efficiently, then that sense of purpose and impact, I think, mm. is, is, is a very important success characteristic for us. Sounds yeah. good. Brilliant. Sounds good. Um, 
we're, we're planning next year's podcast, aren't we, Nico? Um, yes. I think we should. We, we need to um, get some guests back on. Is that right? Yeah. And it would yeah. be, be brilliant to uh, maybe have you on. Uh, maybe I'll have my bike back by then. It will. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, it'll be great to have you back on yeah, time, just to continue yeah. the conversation. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. But also just to uh, find out how year one's gone. Right. Yeah. Well, it's very kind. Well, amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you. It's very exciting. It's very exciting. It must be nerve wracking, and there must be moments where you go like, "Oh no, this isn't going to work." But. Um, don't don't listen to those. I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure it will. Um, so so best of luck. But, you. but but you're not just doing this though, are you? Because you've got something else to tell us, haven't you? So I do. I do have a book coming out. The book. The book. So it, it seems like you sort of you know you get to your forties and you either start a podcast or go or write a book, right? So. <laughs> and I've failed to write several books. Okay. <laughs> I, um, so if you can write a book, write the book. If you can't, podcast. Yeah. No, the book. Um, the book was so. I'm uh, I'm no writer for what it's worth. English was my worst GCSE. Really. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and uh, but got approached by Palgrave Macmillan on a few occasions, and and they were. I imagine their business model is to reach out to a bunch of people that, that have similar profiles to me, and you know if they reach out to fifty, maybe five of them will land, and they've got five books on on responsible sustainable uh-huh. sustainable investment. I was I was one of those that said said yes, and the reason I said yes is because I was finding a sense of frustration about the direction of the responsible investment industry. Yeah. And I wanted to force myself to articulate where I think things were going well and where I think things were, were, were not going well and suddenly realise that the notes that I collected would make for a useful book. Mm-hmm. And so the book is is a very personal account and narrative around around 12 years of working in responsible investment, or sort yep. of the highs and lows along the way, how we've got to where we've got to, what are some of the problems with the way in which res- the responsible investment industry currently operates, and how can we address some of those problems. Yep. And I've done that through speaking to my own experiences, and I interviewed around 20 individuals who have had a very sort of informative uh, uh, they, well, they've informed my areas of thinking. They've had an yeah. effect on my life during the time that I've been working on this topic. So people that you'll know, like Roger Irwin and Catherine Howarth, but then yeah. people like uh, Martin Spolk, who's at the FISMA at the European uh, Commission, Nathan Fabian, who's my boss at PRI, mm-hmm. and 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 started to weave in some of their views uh, in, in 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 into this too. So the book should come out in December. I get the proofs back apparently this week. Excellent, excellent. Do we, we get signed copies? <laughs> you are no, no one's having it. We have to we have to buy them. Okay. <laughs> you can sign it. Yeah. yeah, all right. Yeah. And are you having a, a launch event? I will do. I will do. I'm gonna. Uh, the, the book was supposed to be published in like 2021 or something. Right. So yeah, like, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. gonna book the launch event until I've got okay. a physical copy. Um, <laughs> fair enough. So, what have you got coming up, Nico? Well, yeah. So, I'm just about to be announced as chair of the Net Zero Investors. So this is, a, is this a VFM scoop? Uh, yes, <laughs> I guess so. Um, so, you know, hot off the press. Um, so, I did that last year. Uh, Will, you came. I did. That's um, great. I'm sure we'll have Will back. Um, might even find space for you, Darren. Oh, oh, the <laughs> honour, the honour. Um, so, yeah, the, I think that's the 31st of January. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I'm delighted to be doing that. I thought it was a really interesting event. It was great. Um, really good. One of, one of the, uh, here's for all conference advisors. I think the, the fast pace really, really helped. Um, so I think the, the longest session was maybe an hour, but it was a presentation and a 30-minute panel, right. and then pretty much every other session was a 30-minute panel. Yeah. I think the, the moderation that I've really appreciated is you, you, you follow up. Right. And so so a speaker may give their pitch, but then you, there's a few things in there that weren't quite clear or they, they needed a bit more explanation or whatever yeah. it may be. and you Have a conversation with people. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It makes it far more engaging. So there we go. Yeah. Um, it won't be available for booking just yet. 
but I think in by the time you listen to this, depending if you're hot off the press or not, um, sometime next week it should be up. And right. So that's uh, yeah. Uh, open for booking. I hope bit numbers there. And I'm still um, working on the DG Publishing Public Private Pension Summit, uh-huh. which is uh, taking place at Penny Hill Park, 21st to 23rd yep. um, of November. Uh, really good lineup of speakers there. And um, I believe there's still a few last remaining places available. Uh-huh. So um, I think it's free to um, pension scheme. Uh, professionals and trustees so if you haven't booked up take a look on the dg publishing website and thanks as always for the provision of the pod yes back in the pod um so next week we are are we not in the pod are we in the pod we are in the pod next week yeah Yeah. um so we've got richard smith Smith. um dashboards dashboards sorry platforms It's 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 uh, it, well, poor Richard. We'll, we'll have to see. Well, he's how just the, done a tour of Europe. He's so yeah, enthusiastic. He is, yeah, and um, um, he's going to talk to us about his learnings from um, um, different countries. On, yes, on pensions dashboard. Um, we'll have to append onto that how they actually managed to succeed. Yes. Um, uh, and then we have uh, Tim Gosling coming up. Both of you and I worked with Tim, I well, think. Well, no, Tim sort of followed me around. Oh, yeah. I so, see. So I was, when I was at NAPF, then I think Tim joined the NAPF, and then I moved from the NAPF to people. Oh, so you've run from Tim. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> totally, yeah. And then, oh, I don't know, is he going to be joining Smart soon? Who knows? Uh, who, knows? who knows? Who knows? Or Shula. Or Shula. Who knows? Oh, well, yeah. Um, so yeah, Tim, uh, we worked at TPP together. Um, Great guy. Uh, and then um, I think the week after is it Paul Watson from Host Plus? Yeah, we certainly have him week. lined up. Um, and then we've got a bit of an Australia theme towards the close of the year. So we have the Right Honourable Nick Sherry, uh, who of course was Pensions Minister. For yeah, Australia. I think so, Superannuation Minister. Superannuation. Yes, that's right. Uh, but um, yeah, he was, he did, he's done a lot of work on the development of the the Aussie super industry, yeah. and it'll be great to sort of hear some of that Australian experience. So as Darren hinted, uh, we are planning next year. Um, we are going to continue. We're going to work out what what the format is. Yeah, we might change the format we a might, bit. Yeah, I don't know. But we, we, we may well welcome people back, yes. that, which is something that we haven't done. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, yeah, really looking forward to the run-up to the year. I think we'll have a bit of time off over Christmas. Yes, definitely. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh, I've also got to prepare a little bit of a Christmas party, which I won't spoil, uh, but we're looking forward to that, aren't we? Well, you are. I'm not, because what will happen is Nico will promise something, and then I'll have to do the heavy lifting and make it actually happen. So um, I'll give you time first, listeners. If anybody has a a (laughs) VFM-based Christmas cracker joke to send us, I promise you, we'll, we'll, we'll read them out. Yeah, yeah okay, um, we can do and, that. And anonymously, yeah. right? So I can pretend like I came up. Unless it's it. really bad. <laughs> then we, we would mention the name. Well, maybe we can have a quiz as to who submitted the yeah, worst joke. Yeah. Um, so anyway, we're going to have all sorts of uh, fun. <laughs> fun for you, the listener, not just for Darren and me. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. Will, that was brilliant. Thank you so Thank much. You um, really, really enjoyed that session. Mm. And um, yeah, all the best. Um, really hope your business um, ventures are, are successful and you make that difference that you want to make. Yeah. Uh, so uh, canonbury.io. Um, so C A N B U R Y. Um, and I'm sure you've got lots of interesting stuff on the website. We do. And, uh, <laughs> reach out to Will to, to, to sort out how you can start working with them. Indeed. Indeed. Um, right. Brilliant. Right. So until next time, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. And well, and it's goodbye from me. <laughs> goodbye. <laughs>